Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 71 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, my guest today is one of the elite eight in the quest for gold, the Ring of Honor Women's World Title Tournament. She will face Allison Kay in the quarterfinals this weekend on Ring of Honor TV. She is the Afro-punk Trish Adora. Trish, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. Well, I'm very excited to have you on today because I've, I've been a fan of your work. Um, we haven't really crossed paths much. We've said hello and shaken hands at uh, uh, Future of Honor shows and the Ring of Honor TV tapings, but this is my first chance to actually really have an in-depth conversation with you. So, I um, mean, I think you have a very interesting story, and uh, you've told snippets of it, I think, so far in Ring of Honor television, but we'll, we'll go more in-depth um, today. But first of all, I just want to say congratulations on making it to the uh, to the round of eight, the Elite Eight, because this is a tough tournament. I mean, what a what a field that we have here. Uh, you've certainly just beat a tough opponent in Marty Bell, uh, and I want to say I really enjoyed that match. I thought the two of you had really good chemistry in the ring. What are your thoughts on that match now that it's you've had a little bit of time to reflect on it? Um, you know what? I'm very very proud. Very, very proud of that match. I'm, I'm very happy to advance and to just keep my dream alive. You know, I'm just taking it one match, one dream at a time. So I feel really good about that. You know, Marty Bell is, is such a competitor. She's been all over the world and has wrestled for so many companies. So it was, it was quite an honor and a nice little feather in my cap. So I'm very excited. Oh, definitely a, a nice feather in your cap. And, and like you said, Marty Bell is an accomplished uh, competitor. She's wrestled all over the world. But it doesn't get any easier for you because your next competitor also uh, has quite a resume. Yeah. <laughs> She's wrestled all over the world. <laughs> She's a hard hitter. Uh, that, of course, we're talking about Allison Kay. Now, you guys have never faced each other before, correct? No, we have not. Um, <laughs> so this one's going to be very, very interesting. They will not get any easier after this. Um, you know, Allison Kay also trains in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, so there's going to be a heavy grapple, heavy ground game between the two of us, with myself being a technical wrestler. So um, I'm very, very curious, you know, very, very curious and excited to to really get in there and tie it up and move around and roll around and really just show myself against who I consider to be quite a measuring stick. I'm very confident going forward. Yeah, well, there's no question about that. I mean, this is going to be a heck of a match, and you mentioned different styles. I think in Allison's uh, first-round match, she faced another uh, powerhouse similar to her in Willow, and those two girls, let's just say, they beat the hell out of each other. I thought that was, a, <laughs> yes. that was an enjoyable <laughs> match, but it was certainly hard-hitting, which I love those kind of matches. But you're right, you have a little bit more uh, – I mean, you're a hard-hitter too – but you also have a little bit more of that technical wrestling background. So I really think it's going to be an interesting matchup of styles. But I guess whenever you go into a match with Allison Kay, you, you have to go in there knowing you're probably going to get uh, beat up a little bit. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely stretching. <laughs> so I'm, you know, stretching, drinking water and whatnot, because I know she's going to put me through it, but I got something to put her through too. Well, let's say that, um, you know, let's speak, let's be confident, right? Let's be, let's say you get past Allison, you go into the semis and, and from beyond that, you go into the, uh, let's say you go all the way into the finals and win the championship. What would it mean to you? I mean, can you put into words what it would mean to you to be the Ring of Honor Women's World Champion? Because this is, it's sort of a restart. In a way, it's a new, it's a certainly mm-hmm. a new physical title belt. It's a, it's a reboot of the brand. And whoever holds that championship is going to, you know, be remembered as sort of the standard bearer of, uh, of this new era of women's wrestling and Ring of Honor. So what would it mean to you to be the person who has that belt? It would be such a full circle moment for me. Um, Really just over the course of my career, I've just been working on so many things. I've been trying to become more confident inside the ring, outside the ring. There's just been so many levels and so many hurdles that I've had to overcome and to be able to, to hold that up, to be able to take that back to my community, you know, and show my mom, oh, that'd be so dope, you know, to be the first Black Ring of Honor Women's Champion would be, you talk about feathers and caps, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, would be, I would be so honored to be able to bring that back to my community, to my family, you know, to be able to be that standard bearer in women's wrestling, to be well, able to take this all over the world as well. For sure. Well, you mentioned a couple things there, too, that, that I want to um, expand on. And that's, uh, you know, you could become the first black Ring of Honor Women's World Champion. But you're not the only one in that who could do that, right? We've got some real diversity in this tournament. I think that's one of the things that stood out for me, not just the level of uh, talent that we have, but the diversity. Um, can you talk about yes. that? Yeah, uh, I'm so 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 happy to see like you know lots of uh women of color you know holiday is in the tournament nicole savoy willow nightingale myself you know uh miranda alizé alex gracia uh sumi sakai so there's just so there's such a diverse pool such talented women when i was growing up and when i was watching wrestling all i had was you know jacqueline and jazz and and thank god too because that was when i saw myself being represented in such a strong beautiful way and that made me feel more confident you know and now there's going to be so many girls that can look at us and do that exact same thing feel empowered to do that exact same thing that's why representation is so important you know so i'm this is quite the tournament and i'm I'm really happy that you know a lot of these ladies are in this tournament we're able to share this moment together Well, that must be, I mean, you made a great point there too about, you know, role models when you were growing up and how there weren't a lot of them. So you had, you had a few to choose from and they were important to you, but yeah, now, I mean, it's gotta be an awesome feeling to think that there are little girls all around the world uh, watching you They see someone who looks like them uh, being able to succeed, being strong. I mean, it's gotta make you feel, feel good. I guess on the one hand, of course, do you also feel like, um, I don't know, maybe not, not pressure is not the right word, but a responsibility to sort of carry yourself a certain way because you know, like people are looking up to you. Um, well, a responsibility, uh, the responsibility is really to myself Mm -hmm. first, 
and right. to make sure that I'm upholding my standards, you know, and I believe that if I continue to do that, that'll reverberate and that'll connect with people and that they can look up to me through that, through my humanness, right. you know, and not through a perfection that literally doesn't exist. <laughs> right. No, I hadn't found it yet. And I stopped looking a while ago. So, <laughs> you know, um, so I'm hoping they can see a humanness in me and can relate to that and be inspired by that as well. Um, so that, so that would mean that pressure, okay, not pressure, responsibility. Yes. <laughs> you know, that would mean that, you know, that responsibility shifts a little bit. So it doesn't feel as heavy. It feels like I'm being myself and I'm enjoying my art and my craft and I'm learning and growing and people are resonating with that. So right. that's what it feels like. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Almost like just uh, leading by example. And like you said, just you doing you and being you. Uh, and people seeing that and seeing the the reality, the realness that you bring to it, I think, yeah, that in and of itself uh, would allow young girls out there, young boys or anyone really to look at you and say, yeah, I, you know, I, I could do that or she's doing that and that inspires me. I'd like to be, I'd like to be real like that, you know, the way she's doing it. So I think that's great. Uh, I also want to mention though, I want to talk about uh, your mom because you did mention your mom, and I know we've heard you talk about it um, on television. I know it's an emotional thing. Uh, but for those who don't know, your mom was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, how long ago? That It's not that long ago, right, that she, that she got that diagnosis? Oh, right. It was in April of this year. <clears throat> were, you always, were you always very close with your mom? Yeah. <laughs> I'm an only girl and she's an only girl. So in yeah. a house full of boys, I kind of clung to my mom a little bit. Yeah. I've heard you say five brothers, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rough and tough household, you know. I was going to say <laughs> with, with five brothers and you being the only girl, was it, um, were they like very protective of you in that sense? Or was it like, hey, you're with us, you got to keep up. And were they rough and tough with you? Or was it a combination of the two? You know, it was a combination of both because um, they definitely toughened me up, but they would not let anybody mess with me, you know? <laughs> so we, we'd be rough and tough and horseplay with each other. But if anybody else outside the house tried that with any of us, it was just, <laughs> you know, we all kind of came together in that sense. So, Well, let me ask you, and I know this is maybe difficult to talk about, but how is your mom doing at this point? Um, whenever I ask her, she's still in Atlanta. Um, so whenever I ask her, she always says she's doing the best that she can. Yeah. Um, so there's that. I'm, I'm hoping one day she, she'd say I'm good or I'm great or, you know, just something definitively, just something a little bit more definitive, but the best that she can is, is very good for me and very good for the circumstances. So. Now, I know that winning this tournament obviously would mean a lot to you anyway, like because just being the champion is a big deal. And this is a big deal, to, you know, like we said, with the reboot and everything else. But it takes on added significance, I know, for you. As Again, I know you've talked about it some on TV because you really do want to win it uh, for your mom. Uh, what is – does your mom – I'm guessing, does she watch all of, your, all of your matches, I guess, on the ones that are on TV? I'm sure she watches the ones – what about the ones that are um, – that, they, that she can't see, like the uh, independent matches? Do you, you call her afterwards and talk about it? Or how much involved is she as far as, uh, you know, your in-ring career? 
Um, I send her pictures from when I'm backstage. I send her links to my matches, um, at least the ones that are available on YouTube, if they are. Um, I try to keep the because she knows that it's kind of rough and tough on my body. So I don't try, to, <laughs> you know, I don't try to, you know, show her too much footage of what's, you know, happening and going on. Actually, she came to my uh, match in Washington, D.C. at Fight Club Wrestling. I was able to wrestle in front of her. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she's just, it, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard take sometimes to, to see me wrestle. She's very worried about me getting hurt so often. But she knows I'm taking care of business. So I send her my links and I show her my pictures and things like that. But, you know, I don't know, <laughs> ringside, you know, she almost got involved one time. And I'm like, all right, Mom, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> we're not uh we can't do that here. okay mom was ready to hop the rail and do a run-in look oh my gosh you know what i gotta see if they still just cut i'll let you know <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> well so I, I mean i guess in a sense you're not just in there fighting for yourself though right you are really uh fighting for you want to win this you know for your mom you want your mom to see you be a champion uh, yes. Talk about that a little bit, that extra incentive that you have, that extra motivation. Yeah, I, it's, it's really important for me to be just a positive role model for me and just trying to just pay it back to my mom, you know, because I feel like over the course of my life, maybe I've just given her a hard time. Well, I don't want to say maybe, I know that for sure. <laughs> you know, with all the decisions I've been making and all this traveling and all this worry and things like that. So me, me winning this tournament is kind of like my way of showing her, hey, this is what I've been doing all this time. You know, this is what I've been putting so much work into, you know, when I'm being, you know, recognized in, in the paper and in magazines and things like that. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to show her that that's what this is all for, you know, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping she sees that and is proud. And I know she is, you know, she's very proud of me, you know, but I'm hoping I can show her. Uh, there's no doubt. I'm sure she is very proud of you. Uh, you've come a long way in, in a relatively short time. I know you've been wrestling about five years um, and here you are, you're, you know, kind of on the precipice of perhaps being the, the ring of honor women's world champion. Uh mm -hmm. I noticed that when you did your sit-down interview uh, before your match um, on Ring of Honor TV recently, that you had a ring, a large ring on your finger. Is there significance to that? Um, yes. Most of the jewelry that I wear uh, is jewelry that I get from my mother. Okay. Um, she has a lot of, you know, ethnic and eccentric, you know, knickknacks and jewelry and things. And I like to wear them to honor her. Um, I do keep my, my mother's ring with me at all times. I even wrestle with it, you know, on days where I'm feeling like particularly maybe bogged down or just, you know, emotionally overwhelmed. Um, so I always try to keep her things near me. So I wear her ring for good luck. Oh, that's very cool. Well, we've been talking a lot about the Ring of Honor Women's World Championship, obviously. But, and I think a lot of fans probably do know this because we've mentioned it before on TV uh, and, and in articles about you, that you're already a world champion. You are the Pan-African World Diaspora. I'm going to make sure I say this right. Diaspora 
wrestling world champion. And I know that you won that in a, a tournament. I think it was uh, maybe last year. Um, and uh, the tournament included men and women. Can you just talk a little bit about the origin of this title and, and what it represents? Yes. So um, I was actually the only uh, woman in the tournament. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yes, for this one. And um, so the significance of this title is really, really interesting. So about, oh my gosh, it's a little over 10 years ago, 2012 almost. Um, so 2012, me and one of my battle buddies, uh, Johnny Cross, um, we were in Afghanistan and after just a particularly long day, I just kind of, we just start talking about what's next, you know, and I'm saying like, Hey, I want to be a wrestler. <laughs> and he's like, Oh, okay. You know, that's cool. That's interesting. And he wanted to be a promoter. So I, you know, got my marching orders, you know, I got out and I started training to be a wrestler. I trained at the team 3d Academy and he, started training as well and got his promoter's license. And then one day he sent me this design and said, what do you think of this? And I was like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> and he's like, this is what we were talking about. This is that place for us that we were talking about. You know, um, I was shocked. I, you know, it just, it just felt like an idea at the time, just some kind of thing that we said, but to see that design, I was like, okay, okay you know, to see him training, to see myself training, you know, to see the belt in person in front of my face was just absolutely magical. It was so cool that he, he put his mind to something like that. And he used all like most of his army savings as well. So wow. it's just, yeah, I just, I look at that belt and I just get so emotional sometimes because I'm very happy you know, that while it represents, um, it represents like freedom, you know, it represents, it represents friendship, mm -hmm. really. And I'm very, very happy to be able to travel all over the world, to be able to defend this, to defend this against, you know, talent of color, LGBTQ talent, you know, talent that feels overlooked. There's somewhere for them. There's a safe place for them. There is at least one, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's awesome. So, that's awesome. It really is. That is so cool. Not only the fact that, you know, it's it's two friends talking about, hey, wouldn't this be great if we did this? But then to actually follow through on it, have it become a reality. And like you said, inclusivity is uh, is so important. And for, for you to represent uh, everyone, you know, with this championship, um, people that feel marginalized or overlooked, like, that's very, very cool. That's very cool. If you never do anything else, probably, right, going forward in this business, you can already say you did something that, that's really meaningful. I appreciate that. And every, every so often, I kind of feel that. And I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Just like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you mentioned feeling. that, um, like, I, as, again, I knew in the tournament that it was men and women. I didn't realize it was men and one woman, <laughs> just you. I didn't think there were other women. But so this brings me to my next topic, which is intergender matches, which is, um, I guess it's, it's still sort of um, a controversial subject. Some people really like it and are accepting of it. I know maybe some old school uh, people in the business or fans don't really like it. Uh, but obviously you must appreciate it because I know you wrestle a lot of matches against men. 
Uh, just what are your feelings in general on intergender matches? Yeah, so um, I some of my early matches that I've seen and taken akin to have been intergender matches. You know, uh, Jacqueline versus Crash Holly being yeah. a personal favorite of mine, you know. Um, that was kind of the match that I looked at and was kind of like, what? <laughs> that is so cool. Are you kidding me? You know, and me with five brothers who I was determined to suplex over my head at some point, <laughs> you know. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, you know, and at the time, you know, you, you know, growing up, I was bullied. And so there was kind of like that, that, that hope to be like tough and to take on the boys and, you know, to fight back and to see that was so cool. And I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so as I approached my own career, especially training at the team 3d Academy, um, they didn't, uh, separate by you know anyone's gender or anything like that they kind of just had everybody melting in and just had all the training just kind of flow and it wasn't really a we're going to take it easy on you it wasn't really like you know things are going to be dumbed down for you there were still those expectations and they were the same across the board um and then even in the military you know just being able to prove to your male counterparts that you can hang and be a part of their world too, especially right. with wrestling being so, you know, male dominated. So it was just, it's always been ingrained in me that I was just, you know, an equal to everyone. I've never felt in my brain that I was under anyone. So going into wrestling, I had that exact same mindset and people would even say, or like, I wrestle a lot of guys or I don't know. And, you know, there, there's just a lot of detractions and I, believe that it's on me to make sure that the hard work is on me now to make sure that as I go through my art, that the psychology is something that's making sense, you know, and things like that. So there's right. just a lot of extra things to consider with intergender wrestling, but sure. I appreciate it very much. I love being able to like be in a locker room and know that if anybody was like, oh, hey, we need an extra match, you know, da, 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 I, I can step right in no matter who it is. You know what I mean? Right. And I don't know. It's just always being able to work with everyone and being able to travel around and things like that. So I don't know. I never saw myself as separate in that way. So it's just interesting that in the world of wrestling, there is this separation. Um, yeah, I definitely bucked the rules of wrestling. <laughs> so. Hey, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, you mentioned, um, you know, always, you know, being able to work, you know, with anyone. Uh, I want to pull back the curtain just a tad. Okay. Has there ever been, and I don't want you to name any names, but has there ever been a male wrestler who was found out he was working against you or whatever and found out that, you know, you were, you were going to win this match? Has there ever been a guy that had a problem putting you over? Um, there was one time where there was an uneasiness, um, about working with me and a lot of phone calls and reassurance and all of that. Yeah. Um, there are some male wrestlers that, I don't know, their, their, their views are a couple years behind, you know, they'll, they'll catch up eventually, I'm sure. But, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's awkward for me um 
a little bit, but I know what I'm capable of. And it just, it stings a teeny bit to have to prove that a little bit more than what you would already be doing in the ring. Sure. You know? So it, it was, I mean, everything eventually worked out. But there was definitely a moment where I was like, uh, <laughs> is this, are we actually going to go through with this? Are our plans going to change or what, you know? Right. Um, you know, I try not to get too offended by that kind of stuff, you know? Um, and since then, I feel, you know, quite accepted by my male counterparts and things like that. So, I don't know. It was just, it kind of stung for sure. And it hurt my confidence for a little while, but. I definitely was able to like bounce back and everything still went according to plan. So that's good. That's good. Well, I know one guy who uh, certainly doesn't have a problem or didn't have a problem working with you because he went in the ring with you for 60 minutes. <laughs> that's a guy that people in ring of honor know very well. Former uh, world television champion, Tony Deppen. You guys had a 60 minute Iron Man match, which uh, you won, right? Two falls to yes. one. Um, First of all, before I, before I ask you like the specifics of that match, just go in 60 minutes. Had you ever done that prior to that match? Um, no, and it was one fall, and I got the one fall. Oh, it was. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, yeah, no, I had, not done, I had not done something like that before. Um, the longest match that I had been in, I mean, honestly, it was just over the course of the night, I was in the Pan-African Tournament, and so that's about 40 – five minutes over the course of a night, but for right. longest hatches, maybe like 20 minutes tops. And so I was really like, I was really nervous. <laughs> I guess you don't know you I can do, you don't know you can do a 60 minute match till you do a 60 minute match, do. right? <laughs> That's so true. And you know, I was very much like, you know what? I'm just going to go up there. <laughs> And I am going to do my best to survive because that's his wheelhouse. You know, he right. is, he's got lungs on him and an engine and a tank and he can go and go and go. So that's his wheelhouse and that's where he's comfortable. So if there was a way for me to frustrate him, maybe I could kind of get a little bit lucky, you know, and get definitively lucky, you know? So um, thankfully I was able to do that, but Oh my gosh, I remember so clearly. Oh man, I'll never forget this. <laughs> um, the, the first time cue when five minutes had elapsed. Uh-huh. And I was already on the ground staring up at the ceiling and my throat just started to close up. <laughs> I was like, oh no. And Tony was just right on me. Just he was not letting me breathe for a second. So it was I, I was definitely put through the ringer, quite the, the working 60 minutes. <laughs> and again, Tony certainly is known for his aggressive style, and it's intense, and it's hard-hitting. And, I mean, 15 minutes with Tony, I'm sure, would, would feel like an hour. I can't imagine what an hour with Tony would, uh, would feel like. But, you know, I asked – it's funny that you mentioned about the time cue – because I talked to Matt Taven about his Iron Man match that he did, or it wasn't an Iron Man match. It just ended, it was this regular match, but it ended up going the full 60 minute time limit with Jay Lethal. Um, and he said a similar thing that you just said that he was like, at one point he asked Todd Sinclair, he's like, where are we? We were about 20 minutes, about 20 minutes in. And uh, Todd says, no, five, you're five minutes in. 
<laughs> and Matt was like, oh my God, we're only five minutes in. Was there ever a moment for you at like, I don't know, say the 30 or 40 minute mark where you're just like, oh my God, I don't know if I can go the extra 30 or 20 minutes, whatever's left? Oh my gosh. Yeah. When, when it's at 45 has elapsed, 15 remain. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm like, no. And I was really trying to survive at that point. I was furious at that point. I, I was just emotionally just distraught. And not only, it, it, it was just, there was just this, this silence over the room. You know, because there were no fans in attendance. Um, just Drew on commentary, Drew Cordero on a commentary. And I, that sound is so deafening. That silence was so loud at the 45 minute mark. I just, I was like, who is screaming in here? It was nobody in this room. Right. You know, it just, it felt, I, there was just such a, an overwhelmedness right then and there when that when you hear that time cue and you're just like oh my god it's just everything crashed on me at once so that's another great point about it being not in front of fans is you didn't have the energy um of the fans to play off of so i mean i guess that must have added even another layer of of difficulty right oh my gosh you could hear a pin drop and i i just Oh, and for, for me, you know, I, I need that energy, you know, for my entrance. It's, it's you know, I vibe with that. I want to I wanna look into somebody's eyes. I want to reach out and touch somebody's hand. I want to lean in, you know. I want to make some eye contact and, and, you know, just do a lap around. You know, I need that energy. And to just not have that, it's just, it's hard sometimes, you know, to just get in that mode and, and fight for that energy sometimes by yourself. But I really dug in and had to fight for that energy myself. You know, I had to cheer myself on, you know, and clap for myself. It was very overwhelming. I can only imagine, though, once you got through it and it went, <sighs> it went well, I mean, that must have been such a feeling of, of accomplishment and satisfaction that you made it through. And, and uh, I mean, were you pleased with the match, with how it went? Oh, yes, relief. <laughs> Oh my God. I, I just remember like five, four. And I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> I'm probably literally just like, ah, like flailing around. Cause I'm just like, my heart was like fluttering in my chest. I'm like, all right, last five seconds, almost done. Just relief. Uh, I thought, I thought for a minute, I was like, well, if it's a draw, at least I got through it. You know? At right. that point I was just, Oh, my throat was like about closed up and, I got that fall in that last second, and I was like, oh, yes, we did it. We did it. It took me, it took me maybe like 20 minutes after that to like really process that uh -huh. I won. I was just kind of standing. I was like, oh, my gosh. I just won. You know, so it was just kind of getting my breath back and getting my bearings back. Just, whew, it was oh. so... I, I can't even describe it to you right now. My brain was just all over the place, just frazzled and scrambled. It was so cool at that last second pull out that one. What was the reaction like when you and Tony came through the curtain? Did you did you get like a, a lot of kudos or applause from the uh, from the other people backstage, or uh, or was there not as was there not that big of a reaction? What what was it like? Well, there was no one else there. Oh really? <laughs> 
Yeah, it was a uh, it was a closed set. Um, we did wow. the taping under a closed set live. Okay. Wow. Yeah, okay. it was the only it was the only match that day. So they had an hour blocked off. They had an hour and a half uh, blocked off that day. There was um like another like pre-show match, and they were like appreciative, but there was no entire like locker room or anything. Oh, like I that. see. Okay, yeah, I was picturing yeah, you guys was... coming back and like people giving you a standing ovation, but no one was there. Oh right? my gosh, <laughs> it was the craziest thing. I walked over because I had my yoga mat with me backstage, and so I'm just I'm drenched in sweat. My hair is just pointing the other direction. Whatever direction it was at first, it's pointing the other direction. And I'm just like drenched and I'm out of breath. I'm happy, but I, I'm, I'm just trying to just sit down for one second and it's dead quiet. <laughs> you know, the other pre-show match, oh, very good. But they, they gave me my space because I'm just like frazzled. And I sit on my yoga mat and it's so quiet. It's like deafening. And then, you know, and then people are like, hey, you know, and some of the production teams are like, hey, he did so awesome. He did so awesome. It's almost like they sound muffled almost. Yeah. You know? It was just very like, I think it took me maybe until the end of the day to really like come down from the high of what that all was. The reception was really, really good um, from, from, you know, the people that were there in attendance, the production crew and things like that. And the online, you know, everybody was congratulatory and appreciative but for me for that moment when I had gotten back and I slowly walked and I slowly sat down on my yoga mat it was just the most surreal feeling is dead silent and wow. the only thing I could hear was like my own throat closing up pretty much <laughs> so <laughs> well you know I guess after you've done a 60 minute Iron Man especially like we said against somebody like Tony um, the next match you have, whenever it is after that, and somebody's like, all right, you got 10 minutes. You must be like, 10 minutes. I can do that in my sleep. I know, right? And it's so funny because now it's like I'm a little, <laughs> a little shy about time now. Now they're like, all right, you want to go 15? I'm like, do you want to go six? <laughs> like, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't I'm understand. Just, I'm curious. Did you and Tony, like – because I know people say sometimes like, man, I did that and I lost, you know, X amount of pounds. Did you guys like weigh yourselves before and after the match? I should have. You know, there was at one point I couldn't, I, <laughs> I know for sure now, but I couldn't really tell at the time, but I was looking at Tony and he was steaming. Oh my he God. He was literally steaming. I could, I was like, is this man, he was screaming he was just, I could hear every breath he took. I was just like, oh my God. Well, that's got to be I like just, a bonding experience for you two. Well. <laughs> I mean, you know I, what? <laughs> you know what? That's 100% true. Yeah. Now I'm, I just see him at, backstage every so often. I point at him, he points at me, and we just kind of like walk off, you know? <laughs> stop, they face off for a half second. I'll be like, what, you want to go right now? <laughs> you know? Then we just kind of leave each other alone and walk off. So. <laughs> right, well, who knows? Maybe we'll get a rematch one day. Maybe you guys will go 90 minutes. Look. <laughs> hey, you know what? Right? <laughs> just no time cues, all right? Those are those freak me out. Just let me know. <laughs> those scare the crap out of me. Oh my gosh, no! But look, hey, we'll do it under the the ring of honor. Look, let's do it. <laughs> oh man, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Well, hey, here's a perfect segue. Speaking of time cues, it is time to take our first break. We're just getting started with Trish. We'll be back with more right after this. 
gonna play wrestling with y'all. But we got something even better. Honor Nation, it's the ROH Wrestling Honor Pals, the body slamming, drop kicking way to keep the fun going. We need some tougher competition. El Kurumbaco! Jay Trevor! She's the new Honor Pals champion. ROH Wrestling Honor Pals. Bring home your favorite star at shophonor.com. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. We're talking with Trish Adora. I want to talk to you about uh, a couple of your moves. You have, as far as I know, you there's two finishers that you have that I'm familiar with. The Cattle Mutilation and Lariat Tubman. So I want to ask you about each one. First, Cattle Mutilation, I, I'm sure our Ring of Honor fans are familiar with. It was made famous by Brian Danielson. How did you discover that move and and why did you decide to make that part of your repertoire yeah so um i trained under the ring of honor dojo under jonathan gresham and i would ask him all the time i'm like well i'm trying to encompass certain certain energies when i'm in the ring there's certain you know presences that i really enjoy watching there's certain people that I enjoy watching. Who do you think are some people that you enjoy watching? And he said, Ryan Danielson immediately, you know, and, and other names too. And he said that I should start watching his tapes. So I'm like, okay, perfect. So I'll go down this ridiculous rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank God for YouTube. Honestly, he, he was telling me that there was just tapes and VHS and things like that. And I'm like, Oh, but uh, I'm lucky enough to find like hundreds of, uh, Brian Danielson matches on YouTube. So I was able to really dig in as I'm like looking at his moveset. It's so cohesive. Yeah. You know, and I just, I'm, I'm in awe of some of the things that he does. And so I saw the cattle mutilation. I saw him do that. And I was like, man, that is the coolest thing ever. But I didn't quite understand, you know, the logistics of, of the move until I start to, study what really what it mean like theoretically what a cattle mutilation would be it's right. like a a bloodless death from within right you know um so to see that and and to know that that's what it means and to to see that it's like oh wow and we, we i don't know it's like what the first couple of times i saw it i was like okay, I'm not understanding the particulars. Then I do the research and it's starting to click and make sense. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty brutal as you start to, you know, really peel back the layers. So I really modeled um, myself after that and a lot of his moveset, actually. <laughs> you know, but it's extremely cohesive, you know, and with that as the finisher for him, it's quite devastating. And it shows off that really nice bridge, so. Absolutely. <laughs> A tremendous bridge. Um, but yeah, like you said, if you're going to sort of model yourself after anyone or, you know, for lack of a better word, maybe steal some things here and there. Hey, Brian Danielson, <laughs> you can certainly do a lot worse than stealing from Brian Danielson. Uh, one of the greatest, obviously, technical wrestlers I think, uh, you know, we've seen in some time. Uh, but cattle mutilation, to your point, it, it's, it's such a, it's a cool name as well. It's the kind of thing that you're, it's the name that that sticks out and it, uh, it strikes a certain chord with, you know, it's got the word mutilation in it, right? So it's something you remember, but Lariat Tubman may be the coolest <laughs> pun on a finisher that I've heard yet. So, um, it's pretty cool that you took a normal Lariat too, and you were able to make it something special. 
How did you come up with that name? I mean, were you, were you looking to do something that paid tribute to Harriet Tubman? Or was it just like you wanted to do the Lariat and you thought, oh, Lariat Tubman? You know what? I wanted to, um, I, you know, I enjoy like a nice basic moveset. So I'm thinking, okay, there's, there's nothing more basic and, and devastating, but, but also very, very like powerful and fully believable, you know, than a lariat. And I'm like, wow, okay, for sure. <laughs> and then I was like, all right, what am I going to call it? I guess I call it a lariat, you know, I don't know. You know, just trying to play around with words. I love a good play on words. And especially as far as move sets go, um, just to kind of like shine light on you know the community and things like that so <laughs> i do a mafia kick i call it three six mafia kick it's pretty funny you know oh, what i mean nice. so, it's like, yeah. a, <laughs> so it has like a little play on words that i enjoy doing and uh, me and faye jackson you know we kind of just came up with it together because i was just like well i don't know how do i pay homage you know my mom used to work at the harriet tubman women's shelter and i was just like uh, and i couldn't quite mesh the ideas together and she was just like, Lariat. I was like, Lariat Tubman. She goes, Lariat Tubman. I go, Lariat Tubman. <laughs> and she's like, Lariat Tubman. And that's it. Yeah. And I was like, all right, you got to say it five times in the mirror. <laughs> 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 and then it's real. So, well, yeah, it, it, I couldn't believe, like, how, you know, people were, like, taken to it. I'm very happy with that. Yeah, it's a great name. And what's great about it, too, is you know, without getting too deep or anything here, but like it may make some wrestling fans, younger fans who maybe they're like, well, who is like, what does that mean? And, and maybe it, it makes them go out and research who Harriet Tubman is, you know, and, yes. and her place in history. So that's a good thing too. Um, I want to talk to you about something else I heard discussed recently uh, during your match on TV, which is that you took up chess during the pandemic. Were, were you a chess player before and you decided to get back into it or did you learn chess for the first time during the pandemic? Yeah. So I learned chess for the first time at, during the pandemic. My younger brother taught me how to uh, play chess. It's kind of how we like bonded. Um, we have a really nice crystal set downstairs and you know, he's a huge chess player. A lot of the, um, a lot of my uncles, a lot of the, the older men in my family, they're like really big chess players and they'd sit in the basement with a cigar and they'd have wrestling on and they'd be playing chess and be arguing and you know, <laughs> so it, it was kind of like a, a family affair, you know, um, but it wasn't until this past year that I had started to get into it. Um, and it has really changed how I view so many things and not even just like wrestling, just life. Um, I feel like chess, I, I, I say this, that, that chess is war disguised as a board game. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and there's just so, there's so much thought involved and there's so many like theories and there's so many things to consider. It's such a vast game. And it's just, it's really just taken my mind on, on just such a roller coaster of thought. Um, I think about wrestling differently, you know, um, if the goal, the, well, the goal in chess is to trap the king and hey, the goal in a wrestling match is to win the match and every piece that you advance is supposed to help you towards that goal. You know what I mean? And 
honestly, one of the biggest life lessons that it just hit me one day and I couldn't even believe it. I had to pull over and just get it all out because I was having a hard time because a few moves into the game, I would freeze because I was terrified because I could potentially lose a piece. Right, you don't want to make the wrong move, right. Oh, and, and I tell you what, games would take me days. <laughs> Caprice Coleman will tell you, we had like a week-long <laughs> <laughs> I know he was like, if this girl, he texts me every so often, he's like, hey, you did me? I'm like, oh, I'm just freaking out because you're about to clean me out right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's just that, that, that fear of making the wrong move and being punished for it. And, and then it just hit me. I'm telling you, it just hit me that you're not going to win the game without losing a piece. Yeah. You know, you're never going to win the game without it losing a piece and i just it, it felt like it felt like a therapy session <laughs> you know oh. Like, oh wow yeah i'm just i'm what game do you win really kind of without losing a piece this is a you know the whole point is to advance and to trap you're absolutely gonna lose pieces right. you're it's uh, the whole you know what the game is designed for you to lose pieces yeah. you know you're never gonna get out of it without losing pieces right. it has to happen Right. Once you gonna, accept that, right, you know, you're not going to get out unscathed, right? And and I just I was like, oh wow! And then that fear, that fear of not being able to start another game, you know, that fear of just I, this one game has to be perfect. Yep, gotcha. Well, and it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, man. I got online once. I lost a game and like. Three minutes, and when I tell you, I cut my phone off and laid down. <laughs> I was like, you know what? <laughs> no, <laughs> I was like, absolutely not. I was, oh, I was devastated. But you know what? You you just kind of accept that there's another game to play. That's not your last game. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I got a, I got two boards in my house now. I got an app on my computer. I, I watch theories on YouTube. I have two apps on my phone. You know, I'm it's there's another game right i've accepted that i can play another game i've accepted that i can lose some pieces now i've given myself permission to be okay with these that's good. <laughs> you know you don't have to, right. you don't have to be perfect exactly well i have respect for anyone who who plays chess you know i have a lot of respect for people who are good at it but even anyone who um plays it at all because uh I just, I, I don't know. I, I quit after checkers. You know, I, I'm really good at checkers, but you have people say, you're playing checkers, he's playing chess. I'm playing checkers, okay? I just, <laughs> I don't know that my brain, I don't know that I'm cerebral enough to, to get into chess and, and be good at it. So mad respect for you and anyone out there who has the, the patience and um, I guess the, the want to really test their brain you know, at something like chess. And like you said, there's frustration that goes along with that as well because, you know, you don't want to make the wrong move. And, and yeah, but I, I, again, mad respect for anybody who, who plays chess. Uh, but you mentioned that you're, um, you said the old, you're older people in your family, I guess you saw them playing chess when you were younger. And I wanted to ask you just a little bit more about um, what your upbringing was like. You mentioned growing up with five brothers. 
uh, which I'm sure had its moments <laughs> for you as a young girl. Uh, but I know that you grew up in D.C., which is, um, you know, I'm from Baltimore, so you're kind of my, yes. neighbor, you're my neighbor down the beltway to, you know, heading south. Um, what was it like where you grew up? Yeah, so I grew up in southeast D.C., um, mm-hmm. Anacostia, so. Yep, familiar pretty, with that. Yeah, it's pretty pretty rough spot. Yeah. But um, we kind of bounced around a lot growing up. And we had to become very, very self-sufficient. Um, young, like very, very young. So there was just a lot of, at, at five, you know, we're cooking on the stove and getting on the bus, you know, with each other and getting on the bus by ourselves, sometimes getting on the train, you know. Um, so it was just very quick, quick growing up, you know. So mm-hmm. I just remember being responsible for a lot of stuff very early. And just having a lot going on and having to move around a lot. You know, just, it, it, took, it, it took us a little bit to, like, really get roots in and kind of settle up. Um, I feel like I was in maybe middle school or high school before things really kind of settled into place. Okay. Um, so that was, that was pretty rough. And um, my mom, she actually had two jobs and was working two jobs and taking care of freaking five kids all by herself you know um so it it was pretty rough for her she was an addiction counselor for about 15 20 years um and at that point she was about maybe 10 years clean you know so there was just a lot going on with us so we were just you know getting things situated so Took us a little bit. So growing up was a little shifty. Right. Well, I guess when you have to grow up fast like that, it's um, it's a lot on you when you're a kid because you're not, you know, really equipped for that when you're when you're young. But the fact that it, you have to do it, I'm sure pays dividends later on in life because, as you said, you, you've already experienced things that, you know, maybe children shouldn't have to experience at that age, but you, you've done it and you've come through it. So I would think you know, I'm not trying to sound cliche, but it, it does um, make you, I guess, a, a more um, well-adapted adult, I guess I should say, or someone who, like, you've already been through some adult-type things when you were a kid, so maybe it helps being an adult because you know you can do it. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Oh, my gosh. Independent wrestling has tested my hustle mentality for sure. (laughs) It has absolutely test it whether or not I can figure it out whether or not I can make it work and uh yeah (laughs) I'm happy I I'm happy I had my tokens and I had my bus fare and I knew how to get on my little bus I knew three stops you know get off that one and walk down the street and wait by the Dunkin Donuts until my brother came up and we both go to you know what I mean it's like to to have that routine it's like you wake up and you're like okay um so I'm all the way here in Florida I supposed to be going to a wrestling school I kind of flubbed my plans there and I don't have any money so I'm not going back home that's not an option so we have to figure this out and just testing just constantly the financial test and figuring it out you know figuring out where I'm gonna stay and figuring out you know where I'm gonna get anything to eat and stuff and just trying to oh man 
I, and then don't even get me started on the UK and Japan. That's a whole nother thing. Those, those hustles that kept me alive over there, they're going to end up in a book. I'm telling y'all right now. <laughs> they're going to end up in a book. It's, it's real out here. I'm telling you that now. <laughs> Man, look, I'm sitting on my luggage, bawling because my freaking, two of my, the minute I got to the UK, two of my back wheels broke on my suitcase. Oh. And, you know, I had to take that suitcase everywhere I went. And there's cobblestones everywhere. So every night I'm waking the dead, dragging this bag <laughs> for like three miles because everything's about that far to get like walking distance to the next little thing. Oh my gosh. I just remember going, oh, never again. I sat on my luggage and I was bawling, crying. I, all I had was my prepaid American Express card. Wow. And... You know they didn't care about nobody's American Express over there. <laughs> I don't even know who I thought I was kidding by bringing a prepaid card to the UK thinking that was going to. So the only way I could eat was if I went somewhere that took Apple Pay. Ah, okay. So I ended up at a lot of like, um, like, you know, grocery stores. And I would get these little, they would have chips, soda, and a sandwich packed up together yep. for like four or five bucks U.S., so I was like, okay. So I ended up doing that like every single day. I don't think I ate a sandwich since. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm so, I was, oh, I was so, man, I was in, I was in rare form, really. I was just eating sandwiches because that's all I could afford. Not, I didn't know. There was a whole week where I did not know where I was going to stay. And I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> so anyway, I, I just went on a tangent there. Um, oh, that's, that's fine. <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, that's, did I answer the question? <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you did. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, you were prepared uh, for those tough times because you had yes. already been through as a youngster, um, having more responsibility than probably someone your age it would normally have. So yeah, you were in this situation where you kind of fell back on, I know what your survival instincts, whereas if it was someone else who maybe had more of a sheltered uh, childhood and didn't have to take on as much responsibility, they might have been in big trouble if they were in that situation. Oof. And then, I mean, and honestly, I honestly, my upbringing could have even made it more difficult on myself because I didn't really feel empowered to ask anybody. Yeah. That too. That's the other side of it. I kind of think of that. I'm like, well, I'm sure somebody would have helped me if I just didn't feel like I had to do it all myself because I've always had to do it all myself, you know? So that's the other side of it too. So that was just, was that like a matter of pride, like not asking for help? Um, just the mat. well, yeah, a little piece of that too. But then just having to like do it all. I've always had to do mostly everything myself. You know what I mean? Okay. So it was just more like, I'm not even going to worry anybody else. I'll just figure it out. I'm not going to worry anybody about it. I'll just, no, I'll just figure it out. It's okay. I don't want anybody to have to, I don't want to have to hear anybody tell me no. You know, I don't want to have to put anybody in that position to be like, oh, maybe if they really didn't. You know, it was just a whole thing. So. Gotcha. Well, let me ask you, um, after high school, you, did you go, you went on to college or? Yes. Okay. Um, and then after college, that's when you decided to go into the army, right? Yes. What went into that decision um, at that point, well, first of all, let me ask you this. What were, was, what career were you thinking about when you were in college? Were you thinking about like 
you know, was there something specific that you were studying to go into that field? And what ultimately led you to make the decision to join the Army? Yeah, so um, in college, I studied communications. And I could have sworn I was going to be a journalist or like a fashion designer. Um, aside from, you know, the distant dream of wrestling, that was kind of what my forefront was. And I was like, okay, I think I can, I think I can figure that out. Um, but you know, that was the first time I was really like away from home, you know, and without any of those responsibilities that I had been finger quote bogged down with. I mean, I wasn't really bogged down, but you, but you know what I mean? Right. Um, so yeah, I did not, that was not a good environment for me and it didn't work out. So I had left after a year, um, okay. which was really frustrating, you know, um, financially, I just could not make it work, <laughs> you know, and it was just nothing. I, I couldn't do it. I was paying for this out of pocket. So I, I ended up just coming back home and being extremely frustrated with myself. And I started waiting tables. Um, which was what I was doing the summer before I left for college anyway. So yeah, that really, that was a, a nice kick to the gut a little bit. Um, so it was just, I don't know, it was just rough and trying to settle back into being back home and everything like that. So one of my coworkers just walked up to me and, you know, he asked me, Hey, do you want to join the army with me? Hey, do you want to join the army with me? Hey, and then one day I just kind of listened a little more and then one day I listened a little more. And then one day I was on the phone with a recruiter, <laughs> you know, and you know how that, well, well, I'll tell you how it goes. They, they tell you that you're going to get this $20,000 bonus and then you'll be able to pay for school because, you know, that was hard for you to do. And then, you know, you can do all these things and you'll be able to travel. And I was like, really? That's awesome. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so I, I signed up and then I went to tell my mom that I signed up. Because I feel like, well, I knew that if I told her that that's what I was thinking about doing, she would have not allowed that at all. Right. Well, you know, I was going to ask you, if you're, I'm sorry, I was going to ask you, if, did, did, did your family have a military background? I uh, know my my uncle was in the navy. Okay. Mm -hmm. My mom's brother was in the navy, uh, but yeah, she would not have been happy with that. And he he really would not have been happy about that. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was it was kind of a, a tough sell for everyone. But eventually they got on board. Once I, you know, you just kind of got to prove through actions that you know I'm not about to ruin my life with this decision. <laughs> so until you do that, they're kind of always gasping at what, what it is you're doing, so to speak. So um, it took me a while to kind of earn that trust in what I was doing. So I ended up um, joining as a communications technician. So basically the more technical side of what I was doing in college anyway. So I would be like fixing radios and stuff like that. Funny enough, I fixed the microwave once, so <laughs> 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 that's pretty, pretty proud of that actually <laughs> but um yeah like a bunch of like really cool like uh, like building telephone poles and managing like radios and stuff like that um and then I added another job title which is military police officer so there's that um and that's well, what I ended up deploying as and me and Johnny were in the same unit and we both deployed as MPs so wow so I think what, I might have turned that into the question 
Oops. You did. Well, I was going to ask, what made you want to um, be an MP? Um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get promoted at my, um, at the job title that I had, you know, it's uh -huh. just, it, it's kind of like saying if we already hired five managers, um, we need three supervisors, but you're going to have to learn how to use Microsoft Windows 95, that kind of a thing. Yeah. So it's kind of like that, where it's like, I can be a manager, but I think they need supervisors. <laughs> so it was very much like that. So, Well, you end up spending eight years in the Army, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that also, that also took you to Afghanistan for, how long were you there? One year. Okay. Um, I don't know how much you can or, or want to talk about that, but that the experience of being in Afghanistan for a year, um, what was that like? It is so, it was very interesting. Um, what I will say, when we got there, it was ice cold. Ice cold. I never felt cold like that before in my life. You know, um, I just remember it just being so chill and frigid and snow and, and dark and, and sandy. That, yeah. Those were some of like the January. We got there in January. And those are just some of my, some of my early memories of that. And that just never kind of left me that it was just so cold. I, and since then, I've never been that cold before. Wow. Since, you know, and the same with the heat. When it got hot. It was like 110, 115. I never felt that suffocating, choking, panic-inducing heat. You know, it felt like there was just constantly a hand just right around your neck. Wow. Yeah, I guess that's what like people... You never really could just breathe in and take a comfortable breath. The weather was just... That alone felt like psychological warfare, really. Sure. Just getting used to the weather. I guess, my, you know, I, most people probably just think of Afghanistan and think of hot, how hot it might be. I never even thought about it being cold. So yeah, I could. Oh, my God. It was just so frigid. It made it hard to sleep at night. I just, ugh. I remember that cold all the time. Ugh. That's what? the chill. <laughs> I'm over here right now just like, ugh, cold. Need a blanket now. <laughs> I know, right? Ugh. All right, well, we're going to take our second break and back with more with Trish right after this. Want to hear post-match interviews from tonight's competitors? Want to see exclusive brand new matches? Want to learn about breaking news before anyone else? Week by Week is the perfect companion to everything that happens on ROH TV. It premieres every single Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern on the official ROH YouTube page. That's youtube.com slash ring of honor. Stay informed on the best wrestling on the planet. I'll see you there. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Trisha Dora. Uh, I want to hit on something that you talked about earlier uh, with your pro wrestling training, and that's uh, training at the 3D Academy. Uh, and you mentioned that you weren't really treated any differently because you were a female, which I'm sure, uh, knowing Bully Ray, I don't know Devon <laughs> very well, but I can just see that. Like, yeah, you know, toughen up and get in there. They're not, <laughs> doesn't matter what uh, your gender is. Uh, but what was that whole, first of all, how long were you there training and uh, what do you think you took away from it? Yeah, I spent um, four years uh, in Florida. I just, just got situated 
back in DC at this point, maybe like three years ago. So yeah, I spent like a long time in Florida, uh, training down there for about two and a half years before I'd gotten on the Indies. So it was really interesting for me. Um, I had all of these ideas about how I thought wrestling was going to go. Um, and quickly <laughs> learned that it's probably smart to not have too hard and fast of an idea about how wrestling is going to go, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, it was, they, they have an old school mentality with a lot of new school rules. So I felt like I really got the best of both worlds with that. Um, I learned to respect the business. That was really one of the first things I learned before I even learned to bump, you know? Um, that's really ingrained in the culture of how they, they train. And, excuse me, I'm very happy to have had that. Um, and Serpentico was one of the um, head trainers there too. So to be able to have all these different, like just different personalities and different teaching styles, I was able to learn to adapt too, which is the earlier you learn how to do that, I mean, you're only gonna be better off, you know? So being able to adapt and being able to handle myself in locker rooms in addition to being able to be taught in the ring, so. Right. And you mentioned also that you'd already trained uh, or that you have trained with Jonathan Gresham. Have you also trained with uh, world-famous CB? Yes, and Sumi Sakai, yes. Oh, okay. So mm -hmm. what have you, is there anything that you've taken uh, from each of them that you, can, that you can talk about? Yes. So... Yeah, at Team 3D, it was very, like, of, of the culture and things like that. Um, with World Famous CB and with Sumi, I definitely learned how to be a more agile and more, like, athletic performer. Those, those drills are drills, okay? <laughs> and I have definitely feel like a more elite athlete and performer after training with him. Like, I definitely there've been so many like strength gains and body gains and like wrestling in ring, interesting gains and cool things that I'm able to unlock and do because of them. So very, very happy about that. Um, and with Gresham, it's, I'm able to, I, I learned how to watch wrestling, you mm -hmm. know? Yep. Um, and I know that sounds so silly, right? Cause you just cut it on and look at it. But <laughs> you know, when you, when you start to like think of it a different way, you start to see things that, I, that you never thought you'd see before. There's one match in particular um, that I watched at Jonathan Gresham's and I, it, it made wrestling make so much. I, I, I think about my career, like pre seeing that match and post seeing that match, you know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, it's uh, him versus Daniel Makabe at three, two, one battle. It is the most interesting match. I, I might at this point. I feel like I might have seen it like a hundred times. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's so interesting, and it really opened up. It it gave after watching that match, it gave me the right questions to ask about what to to move forward with. You know. Um, me and Gresham would have these really long conversations about like how to like make wrestling wrestling more intricate, how to make wrestling simpler, how to have no wasted movement. It's just those little things like those, those chess player things, you know, he's a chess player too. So it's like those, 
those little intricacies I'm able to like hone in on. Between those three schools, I feel really, I feel like a super athlete almost. I feel so well-rounded that I've gotten like a lot of really good facets of, um, of wrestling. Yeah, well, certainly you've been under the learning tree of, of some of the, the, the great minds right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I understand what you're saying, too, about watching wrestling uh, sort of with a critical eye. I mean, yeah, you can watch it as a fan, just like any sport, uh, you know, baseball, football. You watch it strictly as a fan, but then you can take it to another level and really try to understand what's going on and, and what the strategy is. And certainly with wrestling, obviously not a traditional sport, uh, there's a psychology that goes into it. And you can really dissect it, like you said, as, as an art form. And, um, man, if you're going to sit down and talk to somebody about it, like I can't imagine there'd be anybody better than Jonathan Gresham, who I would say his, the way he approaches wrestling, it's like a genius level as far as breaking down a match and um, just everything in it making sense and done f- with purpose and for a reason. I mean, I really, you know, you feel like you're watching, uh, you know, Picasso paint here when yes. you're watching Jonathan <laughs> Gresham in a wrestling ring. So, yeah, what a, what a great teacher to have. Yes. I want to talk to you about um, a time that maybe things weren't going uh, as smoothly for you in wrestling, which I know you've mentioned before, which I guess you were about maybe two years in. I think you started in 2016, and I think it was maybe around 2018. When uh-huh. You felt like it just wasn't going the way you thought it was going. Um, can you just talk to me a little bit about, you know, kind of what your mindset was at, at that point and, um, you know, what you did after that? Yeah, I gotten so, uh, I gotten really down on myself and really, really depressed for a while because I just wasn't really understanding. I, I just wasn't understanding what was happening around me, you know, um, felt like the Indies was this, this shark infested, you know, it just felt a little more cutthroat than what I thought it should be. And I'm just getting a little frustrated. I'm like, you know, I'm just here trying to play things straight, you know, and it just, I found myself becoming more and more aggravated with, you know, just some of the things that I was doing personally, just trying to, you know, figure myself out, you know, things professionally were not going very well. I was not making any money. I didn't feel good. Um, Physically, I was probably in not very great shape. I want to say like the worst shape of my life, you know. Um, I just wanted to come home, you know. So I came home for a little bit to try to recharge and and reset. that really changed everything because around that time, that was the, uh, the ring of honor combine, mm-hmm. you know, and I had like 300 bucks left and it was either get my account out of the negatives or <laughs> go to this combine. So I used the money to go to the combine and thankfully I did well enough and I got asked back. And even better than that, it's like an hour from my house. Right. So I was like, oh, I guess it's pretty clear that I should just go back home, huh? <laughs> you know? So that, that decision became a little bit easier. I made a, I, you know, took a little leap. I, it was a pride thing about coming home, you know? Sure. I just wanted to make sure I had something to show for. 
especially when every other week I had to call back home and ask for money or every other week I just couldn't make things work. And, you know, I'd get kicked out of where I was staying. So it was like, ah, this is not, you know what I mean? So to come back home definitely was pretty humbling, but it's nice to, it was nice to be back around, you know, the nest, so to speak, to recharge. Now, was there a moment where, you sort of turned a corner and you started thinking, all right, I'm back on track. Um, things are going better for me now. And, and it's, you know, kind of full steam ahead from here. Was there like a specific turning point or was it more of a gradual thing? It was really gradual. It's over the court. It's some really cool things happening. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they keep happening. And it's like a little uptick, you know, and I'm like, Oh, okay. We're turning a corner, so to speak. Um, it was, February 15, 2020, when I uh, won the Pan-African, Pan-African World Diaspora Championship. That was, that felt, that was such an interesting moment, you know, and to do that in my city, it felt very full circle, kismet, very, very, just on a, on a universe, universal type level, you know, and after that, I just feel like that put somewhat of a battery in my back to just keep pushing forward and just I, it felt very gradual after that and then lately too um the next big uptick was the uh in february of this year the 60 minute iron match february 14th actually um of this year 2021 um was after that 60 minute iron match and how much uh buzz that got and and really good press and we did that for charity as well um and i that was charitable to the uh harriet tubman women's shelter so Very, very, um, very, very good cause overall, too. And that also was a new, it felt like a new level. It felt like I'm playing a video game and I finally beat one of the bosses or I finally checked off this box of this thing that I wanted to do or I finally, you know, have made strides personally or I feel more confident or I feel good, you know, just, just like that. So let me ask you about wrestling in Japan. When you, when you started off, um, was that one of your goals once you started wrestling? Was Because obviously for a lot of um, wrestlers, they get into the business, it's like, man, that's, sort of, that's, that's one of the things on the bucket list, right? Like, I want to wrestle in Japan. Uh, was that like that for you? Um, and the second part of the question is, once you got there, what was that experience like? Yeah, so um, I wanted – to to wrestle all over the world. I still do. That's that's my number one goal is to wrestle all over the world. Japan is sacred land in the world of wrestling, you know what I mean? So yeah. I absolutely <laughs> am I'm I'm going back. I, I wanna I mean, before the pandemic, I really thought it was going to be like once a year, you know, I'll be able to like go back and just, you know, cycle through. Um, I actually went, uh, I had earned the chance to go to Japan on a Wrestle One scholarship with uh, Kaz Hayashi and Sonny Ono. They held a seminar at a show that I was at, at Hood Slam in California. Mm-hmm. And I did the seminar and freaking went through and I was like oh crap that's cool so I got to go to Japan with him and it was very awesome and you know what I'm very thankful that I was able to like go with the group because by myself I think that 
the learning curve and the culture shock would have been very tough for me to, um, to just handle, you know, uh, and it was right around the time of the UK trip too. So I was very much like about the hustle, so to speak. So um, it was really nice at the Russell One Dojo. All the students, you know, they were very kind. I was the only, I was the only woman there. And they were very, very kind. They would walk me everywhere. They would make sure that everything was okay. They would, you know, just give me my space. I had my own area, my own room. You know, there was, I, I, it was just such a unity and a groupness to it, you know, and just the respect that was threaded into their culture. We worked out together, you know. They, it was really, really, it was a wrestling culture shock. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's. Yeah, that's definitely how I want to put that. That was a huge wrestling culture shock, um, which I'm appreciative of. I very much enjoyed my time. So I'm definitely looking forward to going back. I got to wrestle in Kirk and Hall, which is crazy. That's, that's awesome. That's <laughs> that is awesome. absolutely crazy. Oh, gosh, what I would do with the opportunity like that now, you know what I mean? It's kind of like very early in my career, I was able to have these really cool moments. And I'm like, I'm ready to run it back. I'm ready to, to show that over time that I've been able to learn and grow. So I'm definitely wanting to go back to Japan. Beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, that's definitely, that's another bucket list type thing. I would think, uh, Mm -hmm. Corican Hall, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, are there any other, you mentioned wanting to travel the world. You've been to some places as we've just discussed, any places that you would look at and like that, that are goals still like, I said, you know, what place would you like to go next as far as wrestling? Hmm, as far as wrestling, definitely Canada, Mexico, the UK. Um, I was, you know, before the pandemic, there were so many plans. I was supposed to go to Canada and um, debut for C4. Oh, that was going to be so huge for me. C4 wrestling was going to be so huge for me. But um, I'm, I can imagine that'll be, that'll be up for up for discussion pretty soon. Um, In the UK, I'm looking to go back to the UK. I want very badly to wrestle for progress. I want that very badly. Um, The first time I was in the UK, I was was the plus one of a plus one, okay? Because Suge was, you know, helping produce the show and Darius Lockhart was his plus one. And I was like, hey, uh, did I come (laughs) to? You know, so I was a plus one of a plus one. And I picked my little corner and I made sure to not, you know, (laughs) get up in anybody's way, so to speak. And I just, I was telling myself too, um, that the next time, the next time I would be back here, I'm going to walk to the middle of the room. I'm going to set up shop right there and I'm going to take all the space that I need. You know what I mean? Nice. That's exactly what I said. I, I said, uh, you know, I'm in the corner and I'm like, okay. And, you know, people, and everybody was friendly. Nobody was making me feel like I had to be in the corner per se, you know, so, but I was very much of the, okay, this is, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to just, you know, <laughs> be out of everybody's way. But I told myself, I'm like, look, next time I'm in this building, I'm taking up all the space that I need. Right. And I'm ready to make good on that promise. I'm ready to, get up in the UK and take up all the space I need all throughout the country. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, so. I mean, judging by what you've, you know, done to this point in your career, I'd say uh, they should start making space for you because I, I think that'll happen. I think that would happen. Yes. Well, let me ask a sort of a, a long-term 
question because obviously you're still uh, you're not even at the uh, prime of your career. I would say yet you're still only five years in. Uh, but have you thought long term into the future? Like, do you see yourself as a wrestling lifer? Is this? Do you always want this to be a part of your life? Whether it's um, being a trainer or working in a backstage role as a producer, or have you have you thought that far ahead? Um, you know, I have. I've, I've thought very far ahead. Um, and if I ever get sick of hitting my head, then um, <laughs> I would like to either be a writer or a trainer. And just, you know, it would be nice to be around the business in some capacity if it's not in ring. I would like to commentate. Oh, I, I would love to commentate, you know. I think that would be a great gig, you know, training especially. You know, I think it's important to, to take that next generation through the right way. You know, you lose so many people from the day you sign up to be a pro wrestler to the day you make a million dollars, you know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> you know, you lose so many people in between that. And it's like, I, if there's a way that it could not be because of crappy training and not be because of, you know, any predatory behavior or not be because of, you know, any of the BS that goes on with that sometimes, you know, right. um, then I would like to make that so. All right, well, we're going to take our final break, and then when we come back, Trish, if you're up for it, we're going to play a little game we like to call 10 Questions. Okay. <laughs> All right, back with 10 Questions right after this. Let's roll, America. Roll up your sleeves to give blood. You can help save lives of patients that depend on blood every single day. Ring of Honor Wrestling has once again teamed up with American Red Cross for Sinclair Cares Roll Up Your Sleeves. Make an appointment today to donate blood. Your donation will help save lives and impact countless more. Go to SinclairCares.com to schedule your appointment now. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. Uh, it's been great speaking with Trisha Dora. Uh, you have a great story, as I said. And uh, obviously that story still has many, many chapters to be written. Uh, and I want to remind everybody, what, before we get to 10 questions, that uh, your match with Allison Kay, it's a quarterfinal match, comes up this weekend on Ring of Honor television. People can also watch it on Monday, a uh, week from today, on uh, ROHWrestling.com. If you watch it at 7 o'clock on the dot, you can also follow along on Twitter with our watch party, so you can watch along and comment with other Ring of Honor fans and also the Ring of Honor stars themselves. So. That's a that's a can't miss match for sure. One I'm really looking forward to this coming weekend. But now it's time to play ten questions. And it is now time for ten questions with Kevin. Trish, question number one. We talked about sort of a wrestling bucket list. What's something on your life bucket list hmm on my life bucket list is to maybe do some stunt work in a movie or do some type of acting in a movie and maybe even be a model a fashion model I could see all those things happening for sure 
you know, stunt, it's, it's amazing I don't, that, that more uh, people in our business don't do stunt work, I think, right? Because it seems like such a natural transition. And I know some people have, but it does seem like a transition that was, that makes sense. I mean, you guys, you know, you fall down on, you know, for a living, right? So it seems like it would be a logical uh, next move. Question number two, what's a subject that you'd like to know more about? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <sighs> what would I like to know more? You know, just <sighs> cooking and bake. My first thought was baking. Because that is a science. <laughs> yeah. That you can't get lucky and bake it right. You really have to. <laughs> oh, man. I made the mistake of trying to bake some cookies a little bit ago. And I almost burned out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I wish I could, you know, um, master my baking. That's another thing maybe I could have got more into in the pandemic was baking and cooking and things like that. Well, it's funny you should mention all that because uh, that was that was question. We just asked question number two. Question number four was going to be, do you cook? And if so, what's your specialty? So you've pretty much already answered that one. So let me rephrase that question and ask you, I want to ask another food question. Uh, do you have a favorite cheat food? When you're cheating on your diet, what do you like? Yes. You know, what I first heard was cheap. And I was like, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but then I heard cheat the second time. And I'm like, yes, of course. <laughs> no. but, um, um, oh my gosh. I love going to this place. It's called Surfside Tacos. I just went yesterday. And you know what's crazy? Right before, oh my gosh. I just ate my leftovers from Surfside right before we started this call. That is hilarious. <laughs> so here's what you, oh my gosh. So they have birria tacos, which is so, oh my God. They have birria tacos and it comes with yellow rice and I always get guacamole and I always get like a horchata or a Montego Bay punch or some type of <laughs> ridiculously fruity drink. And I sit there and there's one by the pier. So I can sit there and I eat my tacos by the pier and it is literally the best thing in the world. Man. You're making me hungry now. It is so good. Sounds awesome. Uh, and they also have these fried chicken tacos, which are ridiculous. I could not. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> this is like a monthly, this is like a weekly bill at this point. <laughs> so this is, this is kind of ridiculous how this is happening. But it is so good. Have you ever tried, have you ever been out on the West Coast and tried fish tacos? Ooh, no. I bet they're so good. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I'm not a big fish eater. And mm -hmm. so a, a, a buddy of mine had to, we were out in San Diego and he had to talk. He's like, you know, you got to try the fish tacos. And I'm like, I don't like fish. He's like, but it's not that fishy. It doesn't have that real fishy taste. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, they're good. I love the fish tacos. Yeah. yeah fish maybe tacos next time you're on the, on the West Coast. All right. Well, enough about food. I'm getting hungry here. Question number um, four. If you could have a conversation with any celebrity or historical figure, living or dead, past or present, who would it be? Oh my gosh, that's such a wide net. Yeah. Hmm, I'm wondering whether to take a serious route or to take a more light route. Well, we've had over the course of the previous 70 episodes, we've had a wide range. I was about so. to say, <laughs> I bet. 
Hmm. Let's see. And the seventy-first answer is no. <laughs> um, uh, hmm. That is so interesting. Hmm. I'm wondering whether I want to talk business with Oprah hmm. or if I'm wanting to talk some strategies. Hmm. With Malcolm X. Wow, two great answers. Ooh. Two great answers. You know, Oprah, I told you I grew up in Baltimore. You know, Oprah um, started, when I was a kid, Oprah was a local anchor on mm. WJZ, the ABC affiliate in Baltimore. Oprah Winfrey was uh, just your typical local anchor. And um, man, to see her go from that <laughs> to what one of the biggest most you know influential people in the world it's like wow i remember her back when she was doing the six o'clock news it's crazy yeah all right question number five do you have any hidden talents something you're good at that we don't know about oh that's a great uh, what am i good at Uh, you already know you're good at chess so you can't say that Right? I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say, I really hang my hat on that. Um, let's see. I'm, I don't yodel or anything. I don't play any instruments. Yeah, we had uh, Ray Horace on last week. He said he likes to dance. Uh, Bandito nice. said he likes to sing. So you're not a singer or a dancer. <laughs> I can totally pick. You said Flamita is a singer? No, did I say Flamita? No, Ray Horace. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ray Horace was the dancer. Bandito mm-hmm. was the singer. Ah. Yeah. Oh. Bandito's precious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> freaking, let's see. What can I do? Hmm. trying to think like because i feel like i told everybody kind of what i like to do i'm really good at thrifting i have a particular eye for thrifting like i can find some of the like the things that i've been able to find i have like thousands of dollars worth of really like unique antique items in my closet you know i pride myself on being able to it's like a runner's high right when Mm -hmm. you finally (laughs) like see this piece i saw this on authentic coach bag and i looked at it and i did a double take i almost fell over i'm like god this purse is like 300 bucks <laughs> my purse was five dollars i ran to the register i'm like hey uh i, I need to buy this real quick and, uh, dude it's crazy i have this um tommy hill figure coat that is about 400 bucks i got you know those m&m race car jackets from like back in the day yeah those are retailing for like 400 bucks now online. I have one. It cost me 40 <laughs> Which is kind of expensive for a thrift store, mind you. But we'll let it slide this time. Yeah, well, I get it. I have, a, I have a 16-year-old daughter who loves going to thrift stores. And some of the stuff that she brings home and, like, she tells me, like, you know, this is really this, – this would go for, like, X amount of dollars if it was, you yes. know, somewhere. Yeah, it really is pretty amazing. The stuff that, that she's brought home from the thrift store, it's like – I've been amazed. It's, it's quality yeah. stuff. 
Yeah, the things that people throw away. I know. I, I'm telling you, there was there was. I saw this one shirt, and I was like, okay, no, somebody had to have committed a murder because there's <laughs> no way you would give this shirt up. This is crazy. Some of these things are just so beautiful. But anyways. <laughs> All right. Question number six. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? And if you haven't, do you believe in its existence? I believe. Okay, y'all. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I think that, I think it's, I mean, just off the strength of, I don't think that it's just humans and that's all. Like, I do feel like there could be a cosmic or some type of other otherworldly, like, energy or entity that's surrounded us, mm -hmm. right? Um, I believe in ghosts. <laughs> I believe in, like, demons and angels and, like, the balance of good and evil and how those things, like, operate in this world. I, I love all the, Do not get me into these conspiracy theories. <laughs> do not get me into this. <laughs> Now, have you experienced anything personally that, that you thought was paranormal? Well, you know what? I hadn't said this out loud in like a while, but I used to get such bad sleep paralysis. And it hadn't happened in a while. And I am supremely thankful and I almost feel like saying it out loud is like a cosmic energy shift that's making, you know what I mean? So I always get worried about like saying it out loud. But it is literally the scariest thing. They, they, oh my gosh, they had the nerve to put a documentary on Netflix about it. It's called, I believe it's called The Nightmare. And where they talk about like sleep paralysis and it's like a documentary, but it's shot a little bit cinematically as well. And it is, as unsettling as you think it is. But uh, so sleep paralysis is like, um, it's, let's call it like a sleeping death or a sleeping sickness where you sleep in and uh, you just can't move. It yeah, feels like something is sitting on your chest. That's and if true. it's crazy enough, you might actually see something sitting on your chest and you cannot sit up in time, okay. you know? And it would, oh my gosh, just talking about this, freaking me out. It sounds terrifying. Fortunately, I've never experienced it, but, and I don't know anyone who has, but just, um, I, I know what it is. And it does, <laughs> sound, does sound terrifying. It's, it's not good. It's, it's so scary. And when you finally sit up and scream out, it's so, it's, it's almost like, like this big gasp for air, like, whew, I'm up. And you're like, Shit, it's like your arms don't work. It's like you want to reach and push it off you, or if you yeah. if you see, oh my gosh, dare you sleep with your closet door open? I mean, look. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just like, no, thank you. Ugh. Anyway, next question. Right. Question number seven. This is a little more lighthearted than the sleep paralysis. Okay, this <laughs> this very basic. Do you have a celebrity crush? Oh my god. <laughs> 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 what? <a laughs> Dang, that question caught me off guard. That's funny. I'm literally laughing because that question completely caught me. Oh. <laughs> well, now we all have them. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go first. Drew Barrymore. Okay. Drew Barrymore. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, Drew Barrymore. <laughs> 
what's uh what's your favorite role from there um i really this is a movie probably not many people even remember uh she was in a movie called never been kissed which i thought hey. i really loved her in that movie and i have to say the wedding singer as well ah. he was just so yeah. darn lovable in those movies 51st dates also yeah i was gonna say that's that's all quirky chick flicks so cute yeah. <laughs> I love them all just because she's in them. Of course, Adam Sandler being in it, that doesn't hurt either. You know, I like Adam Sandler. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was tough watching the beginning of Scream, you know, seeing her gutted. That was that was not. Oh, my gosh. Was that so unexpected? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, did we just? Okay, Drew. <laughs> you know, it's like... There are her intestines hanging out. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay, but so... enough, enough about me. This is about you. Uh, I mean, it's so... Crushes are funny, right? Because it's like, I can't tell if it's because I like the role or if they're like... A tra I don't know, it's weird as, as celebrities, but I feel like every other person in the world definitely agrees with me when I say Keanu Reeves. It's like, <laughs> you know, he's probably the most lovable, you know, guy in Hollywood, you know? Um, I, oh, he's great. <laughs> I, yeah, who doesn't like Keanu Reeves? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. It's just like, oh, Keanu. You know, I feel like there's something very, like, down to earth. I think that's kind of the actor crush realm that I like. Mm -hmm. There's a, I don't know, there's a down to earthness to Keanu that I think is, like, super dope. And then the suit is nice. And I'm like, oh, and the roles are really great. Oh. Well, a lot of the roles are really good. He seems approachable, like you could hang out with him. Yes. And, you know, anytime I do see, like, paparazzi taking a picture of him, he's always doing something relatively normal. Like, being on a subway or, like, eating a sandwich on a bench, you know? And I'm like, oh, how, how normal. <laughs> no pretension with him. Okay. Yeah. Question number eight. What is the last show that you binge-watched or are currently binge-watching? if you binge watch shows at all. Hmm. You know, I gotta get better at that. I feel like I've only seen like five shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, I busy. don't watch TV, you know? You like golf? Like, oh, you're very busy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, but... <laughs> hmm, I'm trying to think. What have I... I started watching The Punisher, but I trailed off after like six episodes. Oh, you know what? I was watching Ozark, and I got a... I think I have to finish the third season, but I, I finished the first and the, um, I believe I finished the first and the second season. But the last time I remember sitting down and watching something to completion was um was Sons of Anarchy. And that was only because it was on TV at the time. And then one of my coworkers was like, hey, you should watch this show. It's about these bikers and they're doing dumb stuff. I'm like, what? Uh, it's like a motorcycle thing and their drug running is weird. I was like, okay, cool. And it, But it was already on TV. So I was like, shoot, I got to catch up. So I, they were like, season five was on like TV. And I was like, oh no. So I had to like sit and like binge watch to like quickly catch up. So it took me like two weeks, but I watched like, four seasons and it's like fx and like kurt sutter was like the executive producer so all the episodes are like 50 minutes and yep. i'm just like oh so much time so mm -hmm. it's very time consuming but i really enjoyed that show 
it is it's a time commitment but like if, if you you could just tell if you're really into it like it's like uh, it's addictive you know that, that's the thing of binge watching you're like oh you might not you might only intend to watch like two episodes at a time but then it's like the second one was so good you're like all right i gotta see the third one i gotta see the fourth yes. well, you know, <laughs> half a season in one in one sitting so all right uh let's stick with uh, the entertainment uh theme here so question number nine if there was a movie about your life, right? The Trisha Doris story, who is playing you? What actress plays you in the movie? Ooh, Issa Rae. I think Issa Rae should play me. <laughs> because well, I'm going to plead, like, I'm an older, I'm an older gentleman, okay? So I'm not as up on, like, I know my 70s and 80s and, you know, 90, uh-huh. much more than I know today. So what would we know Issa Rae from? Yeah, so um, Insecure is a show on HBO. Um, she executive produced stars in it. She is in Hollywood under the acting realm, under TV. And there's this quirky brand. She most, uh, actually, she most recently went viral, maybe like a week ago, because she had made this post about her own wedding, but nobody even knew she was in a relationship. Basically, she like made this post it was her and her husband in a dress and, and she's like, oh, hey, uh, me and all my friends just randomly popped up here and look at this really nice dress. Oh, look at this guy, you know, and it's just as a very humorous way to, you know, point out the fact that she had gotten married and the entire <laughs> just imploded, you know, but um, she has a very like quirky, normal, it's somewhat self-deprecating in a sense, but very quirky brand of comedy or okay. brand of humor rather. And I really feel seen whenever, you know, whenever I'm looking at any of her projects and stuff, it feels very for me, so. Okay. Question number 10, our final question. What advice would you give to an aspiring pro wrestler? Someone who was in your position way back when, when you decided, I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this wrestling thing. Hmm. You know, I wish I knew that it was going to be a financial financial challenge, as it was. I, um, I wish I'd saved my money better so I wouldn't have to struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a while to prioritize my work outside of wrestling to supplement my wrestling. You know what I mean? Yep. And I, I, I ended up losing out on a lot because of it, you know? especially without having a safety net of like, you know, just people constantly helping you out, so to speak. So if you feel as though you don't have that, it's, it's important to just get that too through your peers, but also just, just save your money. I feel like I'm just starting to pay off my wrestling. You know what I mean? Right. All the money I spent in training, all that, I feel like I'm just, I'm almost <laughs> even, you know, so well, that's a, that's great advice because as as people in the wrestling business will surely attest, when you start off, it's it is a financial commitment. Uh, wrestling training isn't cheap, and uh, you're not gonna make a lot of money when you first start out on the indies. So, uh, yeah, you're responsible for buying your own gear, yep. paying for how you're gonna get to certain places. Yep. For it, yeah, you gotta. I mean, there's at least gonna be a year of that. So it's like if you you gotta be ready for that in my opinion. And find your core group too. So that way when that does happen, or if that does happen, maybe things will be different. But if that does happen, at least you'll have some people around you too 
so that way you don't feel so alone and don't get too, you know, right. down on yourself. Yep. All right. Well, Tris, I've, I've enjoyed this conversation tremendously. I'm glad that we finally got a chance to speak. Uh, but before we let you go, where can people follow you? Yes. So on Instagram and Twitter, you can please follow me at TrishAdora202. I do have an athlete page on Facebook titled Around the Way Girl. That's where I'm at. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So let's uh, remind everybody again, coming up this weekend, you can see the quarterfinal match, TrishAdora versus Allison Kay. Um, Yeah. You can watch it, find your local Sinclair station, but also if you want to wait till Monday or watch it again a week from today, you can watch it on ROHwrestling.com. Start it right at seven o'clock then go on Twitter, do hashtag watch ROH and you can watch it along with the uh, other Ring of Honor fans and also the Ring of Honor stars themselves. So Trish, I just want to wish you uh, good luck going forward and uh, maybe we'll see you in the finals. Who knows? Maybe we'll see you at Death Before Dishonor. Yes, for sure. Thank you so much. All right. And uh, I want to thank all of you out there for listening and remind you that a new episode of the ROH Strong Podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHwrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked into ROHwrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest ROH news and views, you can read my column, X-Files, every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying, stay safe, and let's all be ROH strong.